Hey everybody, welcome to episode 347 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a lovely day in Austin, Texas. Excited to be back with you and excited about this topic. We're going to cover something that I think I've hit on in a bunch of different episodes, but going to bring it all together under one umbrella today, talking about how you can diagnose and discern where your opportunity areas are in training so that you can figure out what to focus on in order to take that next step in reaching your potential. I think one of the things that I provide as a coach is that ability to dissect where you are in training, where your opportunities are, and then tell you, hey, go work on this element or that element so that you can take that next step forward. So we're going to talk about some of the things you can look at to diagnose your own areas of opportunity and then what to do about it. Before we get there, a couple of quick notes. First of all, just wanted to thank everybody who's reached out about my father-in-law. I really appreciate all the words of encouragement and the messages that I've gotten from my comments on his life. We had the memorial service this past weekend for him, and it was a beautiful representation of him and definitely was hard and emotional, but was a nice step forward as we processed the grief associated with his passing. But again, just want to thank all of you the support and the words of encouragement and the words of comfort that I've gotten from many of you. Secondly, I wanted to quickly shout out my sponsor for this episode, Jonji, with Jonji Running Apparel. I'll be talking about them more mid-episode. They have a new spring line out that's really, really cool. So I'll talk about that in just a minute. So with that, let's just jump right into this episode. We're going to talk about six areas to look at in order to determine whether or not you're doing the right things in training in order to reach your potential. This should help you also across these six categories, identify your opportunity areas because we all have them. We all have those next steps that we can take in order to step forward into the next phase of our training. I just want to encourage you as we go through this is I would definitely ask yourself across all six of these areas, where do I have opportunity? And then we'll talk towards the end about how you prioritize those opportunities because I don't want you necessarily tackling all six at once. You may find that you have some opportunities in each of the areas that you can go after, but to try to take down six things at once is going to be too much. So you're going to want to pick one or two things, one or two insights from this episode to go implement. And then you can do that more sequentially as you go through to continue to build towards your potential. So Yes, look at all six areas, but do not go after six things at once. That's going to be too much for anybody as they step through their training. So pick one or two things to focus on for this season or this period of time and then start to stack them together after that. So that's an overarching message. But let's talk about six areas to evaluate in determining where you might have your best opportunities from a training perspective. Number one is all about the process. Number one is all about the process. Do you have the process and routine in place in order to optimize your potential? And I think that for many who are newer to the sport, this is a big area of opportunity, but I would also suggest that some of us that are more experienced, we may be lacking elements of the process or have let elements of the process slip away, and then we need to get back on that train, so to speak, and get back to doing some of those really important critical steps each week in order to be your best. 
Now, before we jump into what that looks like from a running perspective, I want to tell quickly my favorite anecdote about Hank Aaron, the baseball player who for a long time was the number one home run hitter in terms of total home runs in his career before Barry Bonds, who was a steroid sheet, took that title from him. But Hank Aaron wasn't the guy who was necessarily hitting the most home runs every year, but he did it very consistently, did it consistently for a long time. And so in one Q&A, he was asked the question, how do you set goals around home runs? You set goals to hit a certain number of home runs per year in order to have the consistency that you've had in terms of hitting home runs. And his answer was, no, I actually don't even think about the total number of home runs that I'm going to hit. Instead, my focus is on the process that will support my ability to hit home runs in terms of the strength training that I'm doing, the batting cage time, the study time, studying pitchers. So he would focus on the process to hit home runs as the building blocks four home runs, the home runs being the outcome that he largely didn't have a lot of control over in terms of weather and whether or not pitchers would pitch to him and what situations he might get up in terms of being at bat in a given game and what parks he's playing in and all of those elements. There's a lot out of his control that would impact those number of home runs. But what he could control was the preparation to put him in position to hit a lot of home runs. And because of that consistent preparation over time, he eventually became the home run leader until that title was taken by Barry Bonds. And that's pretty powerful. So it points to this idea of process and routine and process oriented goals being really, really important. And I think in our sport, that couldn't be more true. Is your ability to consistently take small steps week to week, month to month, year to year, ultimately decade to decade is going to be what determines whether or not you can get your goal. Because one workout, one long run, one week of training means nothing in the grand scheme. What matters is, are you consistently taking those small steps in order to make sure that you're doing all the work to stack those gains repeatedly over months and years and decades to see that full aerobic potential come out on race day. And so that's the question. Do you have the routine in place in order to make sure that you're doing everything you can to reach your potential? And what are the elements of that routine? It starts with runs, being consistent about getting in your number of runs. And I would submit that everybody who's serious about chasing their goals should be thinking about running at least five, but ideally and optimally six days a week. And then the question is, if you're doing that, those five or six days a week, are your days constructed in a way that each day has a purpose? So for a five-day week, you're going to have one long run, one quality workout, one medium long run, and two recovery runs, one each after the quality and the long runs. That's your composition of five. And for those people doing six days a week, you have an additional easy run that will come after typically that medium long run. So you've got three recovery oriented runs, one medium long run, one quality run, one long run. Do you have those components in place? And if somebody were to look at their look at your schedule without any information, would they be able to pick out what those days represent the purpose of each day? Would I notice a discernible difference in your medium long run and your 
recovery runs? Would I notice a discernible difference in your long run and how that builds over time? Would I be able to tell those runs apart, not just from a distance and time perspective, but also from a pace perspective? Would it be obvious which is which? Because if you can't discern what those are, if you're not actually distinguishing the purposes of those days, you might be running five or six days a week, but you don't necessarily have those specific days in place, meaning you're not executing the purpose of those days in your schedule. So that's the second question. One is, are you getting the number of days in? Two, are your days differentiated, meaning you have a different purpose for those days according to that list that I just mentioned, long run quality, medium, long run, and recovery days. Third thing would be, are you doing one session of strides a week in addition to your quality run meaning after one run a week are you doing four to six strides which is your allergy shots for speed that help you work on form efficiency and speed development that is a really critical component to go with that aerobic development to make sure you can get faster over time do you have one stride session per week typically i like that after the medium long run but if that doesn't work you could put it after a recovery run as well but you're going to do four to six strides one day a week, week in and week out as consistently as you can, because one session won't make a huge difference. Two won't, three won't, but it's months and ultimately years of doing strides consistency that will have a real impact, just like allergy shots on your speed. So do you have your strides session built into your overall routine? And then beyond that, we look at strength training, Are you doing two 30 to 45 minute strength sessions a week? Ideally as choice one after your quality workout and medium long run runs on that day. Couldn't could be later in the day. It doesn't have to be right after, but in the same day as those runs, or if that doesn't work for you, have you established two other days where you can consistently do those workouts so that it's a fundamental part of what you do week in and week out. And then beyond strength, we look at recovery routines and modalities, which starts to become very, very specific in terms of each individual's needs and preferences and opportunity areas. But that would start to look at, are you getting the sleep that you need to perform within your routine? Are you getting the fueling that you need to perform within your routine? are all the pieces there in order to give you the best opportunity from a process standpoint to be your best running self. So that's more or less your checklist. First question is, is my routine, is my process set up for success? Do I have all the components in place that will allow me to reach my potential? If so, great. If not, what are the things that you need to add and or add consistently so that you're doing them habitually week in and week out and again that doesn't mean you're perfect all the time but 90-95% of the time you're getting that stuff in it's critical for a new person to first focus on process one of the things that I usually talk about with every new runner that I coach is let's establish process first let's let the process then show us what's possible because when you first start working with an athlete as a coach, you have no idea what's their, what their potential might be. You might have some race data points and you might have some idea. But the only way to really see 
someone's potential is to embed them consistently in this process. And then it will start to reveal things to you. And, and pretty much across the board, anybody who's really committed to the process starts to, within a season or two, show things to me that are well beyond what anyone may have thought their potential might be walking into the process. So they start to quickly surprise themselves. But it all comes not because we're dreaming big or making up potential items about what's possible, but instead we're just saying, look, I'm going to be really committed to the work and making sure I'm doing all the components of the work and then let that reveal what's possible. So fundamentals here are critical, especially when you're new. But even if you're a veteran, you may let some of those fundamentals slip. For example, one of the common things I see slipping from people's routines over time is strides because it's that thing you do at the end of a run that's kind of added that takes a little bit of extra time and may or may not be something that you want to do at the end of a run, but is absolutely critical. And so I see people letting that slide out of their routine. Well, if that's you, this is a reminder to let it slide back in and do it consistently because strides especially is something that done in one session isn't that impactful, but you do it consistently week in and week out will make a huge difference in your form and efficiency over time. As a quick reminder on strides, strides are a short controlled sprint. Find an 80 to 100 meter flat stretch of road or track mentally divided into thirds. You want to build your speed for a third, hold your speed for a third, and then let off the gas and cruise for the final third to a stop. Then you walk back to the start, really important for full recovery and repeat that. In that middle third, you're trying to get to 90, 95% of peak speed. So it's fast, but not necessarily all out. So you have some semblance of control. Absolutely critical that you execute strides in that way in order to get the full benefit. But if you're not doing it, add it now. So number one, are you actually doing all the things you should be doing from a process standpoint in order to see your potential? Going to number two, then it becomes, once I have that routine established, am I actually building total volume in a way that's going to allow me to reach my full potential? You've heard me talk about this on this podcast since the beginning of the podcast. Miles matter. Generally, if you can do more volume, then it's going to benefit you. And I would submit that there's a baseline level of volume that needs to be done consistently, more or less year round, in order to truly reach your potential. One of the patterns I see from people oftentimes is that they'll have consistency around a race cycle, meaning within a training cycle, they'll be consistent about their volume building and their volume execution. But then when that race cycle's over, They'll have many months where they're not running at all or they're running a very little bit and then they have to sign up for that next race in order to get back into it. That's a routine that I followed all too regularly very early in my running cycle where I was only motivated by that next race. And when I wasn't training for a race, I would let it slip. I was not consistent year round. And year round consistency is so, so critical to reaching that full potential as we've talked about before in this podcast, aerobic development and reaching your aerobic potential and all the physiological changes that come with that 
is something that can take 10, 15, sometimes more than 15 years for you to fully build out inside your body, which has a lot of really cool changes that you can't see, increase lung capacity, increase capacity for your bloodstream to carry oxygen, more capillaries in your working muscles, more mitochondria in your cells, more efficient mitochondria in terms of performing the respiration process. There's so many layers to it and it takes a long time to build it out completely, which is magical. But the only way to do it is to be consistent in your process. And so then the question becomes, what are some metrics that we can look at to discern whether or not your total volume is what it needs to be or is building in a way that allows you to continue to reach towards that potential. And this is where I almost exclusively look towards annual volume totals. Strava will give them to you. The apps, Coros app will give me my total volume for a year. I believe Garmin Connect will do the same. You can find out what's my annual volume because that number doesn't allow you to run from big periods of time where you're off. Big gaps in your training will quickly get that volume number to come down. And so consistently when I'll talk to people that tell me about their annual volumes, they're giving me numbers seven, 800,000 miles a year. And that's just simply not enough. It's just simply not enough. And I would submit that you should all be thinking about and building towards more than 2,000 miles a year in running volume if you're serious about reaching your potential in any distance, much less the half marathon and the marathon. 2,000 miles a year, more than 40 miles per week on average is the target or where you should be at a baseline in order to reach your potential from a running perspective. And then, of course, beyond that, it's gravy. I highly encourage you to aspire beyond 2000 once you get there. But until you get there, I don't think anyone can seriously sniff at their potential because that will mean that their volume is too low to really reach it or too inconsistent to reach it. So I'd be looking and tracking annual volume. Can't hide from low numbers there. And then once you look at that number, then you got to ask yourself, okay, well, how can I build it to a point where it's more consistently at a higher place? One, by rooting out the periods of your year where you're inconsistent, where you have those big gaps. And look, we all are going to have gaps. We're all going to have vacations and times post-race where maybe you're not on it for three or four weeks because you just finished running a marathon or whatever it may be. I'm not talking about those windows. I'm talking about the overall picture and do you have a two or three month period where you're not running at all or do you have a six month period where you're running really low volume because you don't have a race on the calendar we want to avoid those situations typically and again there are seasons of life and there are times when it happens you have a kid something happens there are always reasons for it to be lower than that but the question is what's your overarching trajectory are those elements of inconsistency the exception or are they the rule? That's what we're asking ourselves. And where can I first eliminate inconsistency? And then secondly, add weekly volume when I am consistent. 
One rule of thumb that I typically give is that you don't increase by more than 20% in terms of total weekly volume from one cycle to the next. So if I'm doing 30 miles a week in one cycle as a max, building for a half marathon, and then I go to the next cycle that I would peak at perhaps up to 36 miles per week as a 20% build so that I'm not jumping too quickly in a way that might injure myself. So there's a slow build, a gradual build, a methodical build. And I don't necessarily need you to go from 700 miles a year to 2000 miles a year in one year. I just want you to see that trajectory heading to the upper right so that you're seeing that go from 700 miles a year to 1000 miles a year to 1500 miles a year to 2000 miles a year. As long as you're seeing that trajectory, you're going to be stepping closer towards your potential. But until you become really committed about consistent volume, it's just not going to happen for you. You might see success. You might get better. You might still see PRs, but will you truly reach your potential if you're not hitting those consistent volume numbers? I don't believe that's possible. The other part of this, by the way, is if you're consistently doing more than 2,000 miles a year, then you're also really putting miles in the bank towards longevity because you're getting in a lot of easy volume that's going to help you sustain that aerobic fitness into your older age. There's a lot of ancillary benefits that a big aerobic system has. And so you're not just putting miles in the bank towards performance, but you're also putting miles in the bank towards longevity. So if that's a way to get motivated around this, then great. But I need you to look at and consistently be thinking about where are my volume numbers? How are, how am I doing from a volume perspective? So number one, routine. Number two, total volume. Number three, the question becomes, am I polarizing my paces enough? I did a whole episode on this recently. Is your training polarized enough? But this is absolutely critical as I've talked about a lot recently. One, do you have the routine Two, are you doing the volume? Three, by the way, you can do more volume if you're polarizing your training. As I discussed earlier, are the purposes of each day clear? If somebody looked at your Strava or any data outputs from your runs, would they be able to easily discern, oh, that's clearly a recovery run, that's clearly a quality workout, that's clearly a long run? Would you see a modulation of pace? that's allowing you to not only achieve the benefits of each of those individual days, but also have enough in the tank to really get the most out of your quality days and stay healthy while doing it. And for most of you, that means slowing down, slowing down and likely slowing down significantly, especially on those recovery days. If it's not obvious the difference between the recovery days and your other easy days, like a long, easy run, then we have a problem. I've talked about it probably ad nauseum. People, some people may be listening, rolling their eyes because I say it so much, but I can't emphasize it enough. If your recovery runs aren't at least two minutes, maybe even three or four minutes slower than your marathon pace, then you're going too fast. Purpose number one on a recovery day is to create movement which promotes blood flow, which promotes healing from the hard or long day that you just did. 
you're going too fast, then you are not achieving that purpose for the day because you are taxing the musculoskeletal system in a way that won't allow it to recover from the hard work that you just did, but instead will tax it even more and put you at a more significant deficit towards recovery so that you're compromised when you get to your next hard or long effort and potentially injured in the process. So that's absolutely critical. And by the way, if you do that, if you slow down enough, then you're still in aerobic development zone, zone one, that's going to benefit you in all other zones. So you're not just running easy to recover and to get the musculoskeletal system happy, but you're also at the same time building the aerobic system in a way that's going to make you faster at those faster zones. So it's absolutely critical. Then your long runs won't be that easy as a recovery run, but they should still be a minute to two minutes slower than your target marathon pace or 90 seconds to two and a half minutes slower than your target half marathon pace. If you're not doing that, then you're in an aerobic zone that becomes the no man's land of aerobic development, which is zone three, instead of being in a zone two spot where you're actually building aerobic capacity or your global ability to process oxygen so that you can get faster in zones four and five. And then, of course, when it comes to speed and you have prescribed paces from a speed perspective, are you actually running those in a way that is prescribed versus pressing to go faster when you can just because you can? And by the way, if you run easy on those long runs and recovery runs in the way that you should, you're going to be able to get even more out of your quality workouts when it is time to press the edge because your body is actually recovered and ready to invest where it needs to invest in order to truly get faster. So you're going to see significant payback in your ability to run faster paces because of your commitment to running easier paces when it's time. And then all of those things will be working together to give you this beautiful polarization in your workouts and your runs where you can easily tell the difference between one run and the next and the purpose of that run. And it all starts to sing together in a way that just doesn't happen when you're pressing too much all the time. And so I would encourage you to take a hard look at the data. And for a minute, just pretend if you were looking at your Strava output or whatever you use to track your data, you were looking at it and you didn't know Pretend for a second you didn't know what those runs meant or should be. Would you be able to tell? Or would someone who didn't know be able to tell? Would they be able to look at those runs and say, oh, clearly that's a recovery run. That's the slowest couple of runs a week. Those are clearly recovery runs. Long run. It's longer than the other runs during the week and is still at a pace that seems reasonable. Would you be able to tell? And then the speed workouts, would you see in those the possibility of doing things you didn't think was possible because you're giving yourself the space to actually be ready for those quality workouts? What would you see? What purpose would you intuit if you were to look at that information and try to discern what each of those runs were for? And if you couldn't, if you can't tell or if you don't see that polarization happening, or if all of the runs seem to be the same pace, 
then we definitely have a challenge that we need to work on. And it's time to polarize even more. I submitted this idea in a previous episode this year, I believe, but I wanted people to think about what if in 2024, instead of committing to run something faster, I committed to actually do my recovery runs even slower than ever. What if you did that? What, would that, what if that was your focus in this year without directly focusing on getting faster elsewhere? I promise you, you will be shocked at the potential that gets unlocked by doing that. Again, it's counterintuitive. I totally get it. But there's not just science, but a whole lot of experience behind the fact that it works. And if you're willing to set your ego aside and commit to it and commit to that polarization, you will unlock potential in you that you didn't know was possible. Full stop. I've seen it countless times. So that's question number three for you in terms of areas of opportunity. Is your training polarized enough? Can you truly see the differences between your recovery runs, your long runs, your medium long runs, and your quality workouts? If not, then that is a major opportunity area for you. Okay, before we get to number four, I want to talk about my partnership with John G. They just released their spring line, and it is inspired by an artist from Greece, actually from Athens. It's the Aegean Collection, which is inspired by the land, sea, and sky from the Mediterranean and the Peloponnese Mountains and the shimmering hues of the Aegean Sea. Really cool print, really cool designs, very, very colorful. And it has me wanting, especially the Trail Haptites, my favorite John G. piece in this collection. It's a little bit loud, a little bit crazy, but really, really cool. So I think I'm going to have to get it. So go check out their new Aegean collection. Go to their website, runjohnji.com. Remember, 2% of all revenues go to support water projects in addition to supporting this artist from Greece in telling his story and sharing his designs. So go check it out. You can use my code ROGUE, R-O-G-U-E, for 10% off your first order, your second order, or any order. So go take advantage of that. Go check it out, runjohnji.com. Okay, let's get to number four on my list. Okay, this one we want to look at, what's our relative potential across races? As many of you know, if you're a longtime listener, that one of the things I emphasize is that you have to compete at a range of races in order to be your best at all of them. If you want to be your best marathoning self or half marathoning self, you need to spend time training for 5Ks and 10Ks. Ultimately, the faster you can run a 5K, the faster you can run a marathon or a half marathon. If you want to be your best 5K, 10K self, then training for a half marathon potentially or up to a marathon and getting better at those distances will give you increased volume, particularly in the long run, that's going to benefit you at the shorter stuff as well. So all of them work together to help you be your best. And one of the things you can do is look at your PRs and all the various different distances and decide, hey, where are my opportunity areas? Where am I underperforming or under-indexed so that I can identify where my big opportunities are? So one of the things I would encourage you to do is look at your PRs versus outputs from something like the McMillan Running Calculator, for example. So what you would do is you would pick your current goal at whatever distance you might be trying to achieve. You'd plug that into his calculator and then 
when you're looking at the outputs, look at the race times tab up top instead of the workout times tab. And then look across the race distances and decide, hey, where have I been able to achieve those times relative to this goal in whatever distance I might be striving for versus where have I not? Where am I underperforming or underindexed? So just to give you an example, if you wanted to run, for example, a four-hour marathon, based on his calculator, that would equate to a 154 half marathon, 842 pace versus 909 for the marathon, a 10K of 5109, and a 5K of 2438, a mile of 706. So those would be the times associated with being able to achieve a four-hour marathon. And then what I would ask you to do is then compare your PRs at those distances to those times and decide where's my biggest opportunity. If, for example, you've run a 27-minute 5K and maybe a 155 half marathon, then that would point to some serious opportunity for you in the 5K distance relative to a little bit less opportunity for you in the half marathon distance as it relates to your goal to achieve this four-hour marathon. So that would point to, hey, maybe you actually need to spend some time specifically training for and improving that 5K PR in order to give yourself the speed to be more efficient at the marathon pace of 909 for longer and longer periods of time. And so that's a way for you to quickly identify where are my big opportunity areas? Where am I significantly underperforming relative to my goals versus these race time calculator outputs? And it's clear to acknowledge, of course, that these race time calculators aren't the end all and be all. And there's different ones of them and everyone will be slightly different. But it is a broad brush way to look at your opportunities to identify where your race distant PRs aren't quite adding up to whatever target you might be trying to achieve. And if I was using this same calculator and let's say my goal instead of running a four hour marathon was to run a one sub 155 half, then this would also point to those same sorts of outputs. How's my 10K time stack up to this 5109 target? How does my 5K time stack up to this 2438 target? And where are my biggest gaps? Because that points to opportunity. That points to a need to focus on those other distances to give you the best potential to achieve your goal in whatever your target distance might be. So where are those gaps for you? And where does that mean you have opportunity? And then once you've identified that, if that's the 5K or the 10K or the half marathon or potentially even the marathon, if perhaps you're better at the shorter distances, then make sure your next step is to spend dedicated time at that distance where you're not just doing a race, but you're actually doing a dedicated training cycle associated with that race distance. There's a big difference between doing a 10K and prep for a marathon and looking for that time to somehow stack up to these targets that I'm talking about versus actually training specifically and peaking for a 10K. Those are very different things. Doing a 10K and a marathon build, very different than actually training for a 10K. So make sure you're giving yourself dedicated blocks to train for a 5K or a 10K or maybe even both within a training cycle because those can work together. And also, are there times when I'm dedicated training for a half marathon? All of those things work together to get you towards your potential. You have to be well-rounded. 
you can't become one dimensional as a racer, meaning you're only doing marathons or only doing half marathons because then you will absolutely plateau. You will not reach your full potential unless you're working all of the elements. And so as I've stated on this podcast before, typically I like to see someone doing one each of each of those cycles a year. One speed cycle focused on the 5K and or 10K, one half marathon cycle focused specifically on that distance. And if you're a marathoner, one marathon cycle as well, instead of going from marathon cycle to marathon cycle to marathon cycle, where you will absolutely plateau if you become that one dimensional at that distance. So make sure you're working all distances and use these calculators to help identify where your opportunity areas are and then go specifically train for it. And don't just give yourself one cycle, but give yourself multiple opportunities to chase it. Because if you're focused on the half or the full distance, it's going to be hard to switch into 5K and 10K training if you're not used to it, not just physically, but mentally. And there's a lot to unravel there in terms of figuring those things out. And so you want to give yourself the time and space to do it. And don't just do it once, but do it multiple times and make it a consistent part of your long-term planning. So that's number four, really figuring out how your PRs at each distance stack up towards the goals from a calculator and then figure out where you need to go focus based on the gaps. Number five. Number five comes down to what are your executional opportunities in races? There's a lot of people that might have these first four figured out that might have the routine, the volume, the polarization, and then the balance in terms of race distances they're training for. But they may still lack execution and they may still lack the ability to get those goals because they show up on race day and they do dumb things or they struggle with being able to feel pace in a way that allows them to execute a plan on race day. And so number five, the opportunity is how can I see whether or not I have executional opportunities on race day that's going to make me better in terms of getting the outcomes that I want? And that's a huge deal. I see a lot of people get to race day healthy and happy and having done a lot of bit of work. And then a lot of people screw it up on race day because they're not focused on executing a plan in a smart way and or they really struggle to execute a plan. So what does this look like? If you're looking at it from a a metrics and a data standpoint, you're going to be looking at your race splits and you're going to be asking yourself, am I negative splitting races or am I positive splitting most races? Everything beyond a 5K, the optimal strategy, big data tells us, science tells us that a negative split is optimal from 10K to the marathon. Being able to run the second half faster than the first is optimal because it takes some time to get the engine going to get the engine revved up and then once it's going if you start at slower paces then you can actually finish faster at the end if you give yourself the space to do that and that is more optimal if you look at the world records in all of these distances they're all negative split world records that is what is optimal for 10k and above now 5k That's where the line is drawn. It starts to become a gray area, but typically for a 5K, a slightly positive, and I mean slightly positive split is optimal. And then down from there, slightly positive splits for the shorter stuff below 5K. But for the long stuff, 
Are you able to execute negative splits? Are you able to start conservatively, work down to a target pace, hold, and then ideally finish fast in those final one to two miles for a 10K or perhaps final 5K for a half or final five miles for a marathon? Are you able to do that? If so, then you're likely showing your potential. If not, if you struggle because you go out too fast or you press too early, you don't save that energy for the end, then that's probably a sign that you have opportunity, that you're not reaching your potential. And there will be people, by the way, that will listen to this or hear this and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm just, I can't finish well in races. I'm just not good at it. I'm, I have to bank time early because I know I'm going to fall off at the end. And that is absolute baloney. That is a story you're telling yourself. You absolutely can do it. You just have to give yourself the space and opportunity to do it. And that requires practice. So look at your races, look at your splits, ask yourself, are you a positive split racer mostly, or are you a negative split racer? And if you look at your PRs too, by the way, you want to look at those and say, hey, are those negative or positive splits? Because if those are positive split PRs, then that probably means you left opportunity on the table that day. There's more there they're negative split PRs, then that's probably a sign that it's a pretty legit PR. Depending on how negative split, if you get too big of a negative split, that means you also left time on the table. But in general, a negative split is a better sign that you're leaning towards your potential than the other way around. And so look at that and then ask yourself, okay, do I have an opportunity to get better in this area? Yes or no. And There's a couple ways, I think, to get better in this area if this is an opportunity area for you. One is just recognizing and acknowledging and and believing this, this idea, this concept that a negative split is more optimal. So listen to me if you need to. Dig into the data if you need to. Look at the world record results if that's what you need to convince yourself that a negative split is the optimal way. But it's true. That is the optimal way. You need to first believe it. Secondly, you need to create a plan that allows you to execute on it, starting conservatively, building into the race, holding for the middle parts, and then closing at the end. And there's going to be different degrees of negative splits depending on the distance. The marathon typically being more significant than the other distances. And there's a lot of podcast episodes that I've done on that concept. So, planning to go dig back on if you need to. And then the third part is actually executing on it, having the ability to feel pace, to feel effort, to then track it by typically, my recommendation is manually splitting your watch so that you can execute those paces that you'd written down and plan to execute. And of course, have the opportunity at the end to close out well. And all of that can be challenging to do in an A race if you feel in the pressure. So I encourage you, if this is something you struggle with, to give yourself the opportunity to practice this in some prep races or some C races, races that don't matter, so to speak, where you might actually set yourself up to run an even more dramatic negative split to make sure you have the space to progress and finish well at the end. Because if you can do a half marathon where you might start really conservatively and maybe even run marathon pace instead of half marathon pace for the bulk of it, to set yourself up to really finish strongly at the end. It allows you to practice pacing, practice execution, and then 
have both the physical and mental benefits of finishing well at the end, which builds confidence. It also builds muscle memory of sorts that teaches your body that it can run faster even when it's tired. So you have to go execute and practice it. And sometimes that takes multiple at-bats before you can get it right. But if you can start to build success in that area, even if it's in a practice race or a prep race, then it will snowball and help carry over to those A races when it actually matters because you'll have that confidence that you can execute a plan. This is also why oftentimes when I'm talking to people about their their first races at a distance, first half, first full, that I talk to them about the fact that your total time probably matters less in those early races than your execution, than your ability to execute a good plan and finish strongly at the end. And yes, maybe you feel like you left something out on the table, but be hungry for more. And also I've taught yourself that you can actually finish strongly at the end of a half marathon or a marathon. And that builds confidence that you can take into the next race, which might be more aggressive. But again, it's built that physical and muscle and mental memory that it is possible. So how you run some of these early races at these distances is often more important than the total time because once you get down the road a bit and put more cycles under your belt, the total time you did on that first one won't matter. You're going to be well beyond that anyway. But what will matter is how you did it and did you learn to execute a smart negative split plan or not. So that's number five. You got to look at your ability to execute and whether or not you're running more positive split races or negative split races, and where that means you might have opportunity as a result. So that's number five, execution on race day. Number six, another big opportunity area, which I think is not talked about enough, is the mental side. Yes, the physical training is important. Absolutely. Number one through five is really focused on the physical in many ways, and especially one through four. Are you following the routine? Are you building your volume? Are you polarizing your paces? Are you balancing the race distances that you're training for? And even to a large extent, are you executing on race day? Those are all, in many ways, physical elements. We neglect talking about and considering the mental side. And I think in particular, we neglect talking about how to measure the mental side of the equation. I think that all of us have perhaps intuition around, you know, am I strong from a mental standpoint or not? But how do I actually measure that? Where am I, where is it showing that weakness? And certainly you may already know, well, I have significant race day anxiety or I have mental challenges or mental blocks that prevent me from executing on race day. But I think the biggest thing to look for not just on a one-off basis, but really if you look at the body of your races, the bulk of the work across all races and not just a one-off situation, but more, again, if I look at the bulk of the work, the body of the work, and are am I more often than not reaching my potential on race day or am I more often than not underperforming my potential on race day, especially when there isn't some obvious reason for it? Certainly if it's a warm weather day or if there's crazy wind or something like that, you're going to be affected and you got to account for that in how you're not only executing on race day, but also judging and measuring yourself post that race. But if you have a string of races where 
the weather's looking good. Training's all there. You have all the training outcomes that would point to your ability to achieve a certain potential. And yet you just can't get the race day element to add up or match that fitness. Again, not a one-off, but consistently over time, big body of work that looks like that. Then I think it's time to really take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves, okay, am I doing all the things from a mental prep perspective and from a mental execution perspective to make sure that I can put my best foot forward, I can fully live and see that fitness play out on race day? And that, again, is a harder question to answer, perhaps the hardest one of these six to really put numbers around, but that gap between potential from training and race day performance done and shown consistently over time is probably the best evidence of it. And then the question is, okay, well, what can I do about that? And that's where I think it becomes really, really critical to make sure that you have those mental elements in place to have success. And it starts with things outside of race day, which is really thinking through your purpose for running and the purpose, particularly for the goal that you might have. To use the early example, if you want to break four hours in the marathon, Why do you want to break four hours in the marathon? Have you spent the time to write down your purpose, your reasons for choosing that goal, for trying to achieve it? What is it going to mean to you when you get there? It's really, really critical to have a crystal clear picture of that because it becomes something you can lean on when going gets tough in training or on race day. So purpose tied to your goal. And then of course, The mental execution elements for race day itself are absolutely critical. I think, as I mentioned on my More is More podcast, I think people could spend more time practicing the mental elements in training. But I've got a whole episode on it in terms of mental execution on race day, episode 150 with the lion's share of my tips and tricks in there. Biggest one I talk about is using mantras as a tool, rhythm mantras, fight mantras to really help you put to help really help put your mind in the right space at each stage of the race so that you're ready to be relaxed and smooth when it's time to be efficient and then to fight to really go for it when you're on the edge, you're suffering and trying to get the most out of the end. So put those elements to work as well as the other elements that I talk about in that episode. Practice them in training, practice them in prep races, and then put them to work on race day because as much as we might think that you either have the mental side or you don't, I actually believe that it's really about, am I willing to do the work to prepare myself mentally just as I am ready to do the work to prepare myself physically? All of this stuff is trainable. Just like you can get a better VO2 max and you can improve aerobic capacity, you can also improve your mental ability to be strong on race day. It's just a matter of are you working on it? Are you training it actively or not? Are you building the toolkit so that you have it when it gets hard on race day or not? And I think it's a cop out when people say, well, I'm just not mentally strong. And I do think there is a natural element. Some people are naturally, genetically mentally stronger than others, but we can all work on our mental strength, our mental fortitude and improve it from whatever our starting baseline is. And are you working on that or not? Or are you just telling yourself and accepting that story that you're just not mentally strong? Don't let that be you. So number six is 
how is my mental strength match up in all of this? And is that an area of opportunity for me? If so, listen to podcast 150, start to practice some of those elements in training, practice them on C races or prep races, and then go practice them on race day. And it's not going to be perfect. There's always opportunity area. I think in this area, there's always a chance to get better on the mental side. So it's a process, but as long as you're taking steps forward, as long as you're building, you will get better at it. If you work on it, that's number six. So there you go. Those are six areas where you can assess yourself, figure out how I can potentially improve in order to take those next steps forward. As I mentioned, don't do all six at once. I think that's too much. Focus on one or two areas to focus on in this season of life, in this season of your training, and then figure out after that, once you've built competence in those areas, to go chase the next couple. So what I would say is as we kind of look back on the six things that I mentioned, I would want you to evaluate yourself on all six of those areas based on the metrics and the data points that I referenced. And then using your intuition, your gut, rank yourself on those six areas and make notes about each one. Where are the opportunity areas? One through six. And then specifically make notes about what that means for each of those categories from building routine number one to building volume number two to polarizing your training and your paces number three to balancing your race distances in training number four to executing on race day number five to mental strength and fortitude number six one through six how would you rate your opportunity areas with notes along each one about what it actually means for you in each category. And then go after the top two for this season and then keep your notes and then keep chipping away at those opportunities three and four after you've spent some time working on one and two. Obviously, all six still matter. And at some level, all six still matter. And they're all things at some level that you're working on all the time. But I'm just talking about the area of emphasis where you can really strive to take big steps forward in an area to give yourself the potential, the ability to chase your true potential. So rank them and then go about chipping away each one in order and then do this exercise, I would say, once a year in order to really see how that opportunity evolves as you evolve and as you develop so that you're kind of constantly looking at, okay, what's my next biggest thing to go chase down? And then you, from there, apply that to your training and make sure that you're working on those things in the next cycle. So we will wrap it there with that. Thanks to my sponsor, John G, for the episode. Again, code ROGUE, R-O-G-U-E, for 10% off. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time. We'll talk to you soon.